This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Burst. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Today, another real-life story of the boy next door. Coming at you. This is Life Burst. Thank you for joining us today, whether you're listening online um, or watching us or streaming us through wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you for joining us. We love to share real life stories here at Life Burst. We've all got a story to share. And uh, today our guest here speaking to us on Life Burst is Josh. How are you, Josh? Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm doing really well. Thank you for joining us today and sharing a bit of your story. Take us right back. Uh, where did life start out for you? Yeah, so I um, I was born and grew up in uh, Nam, uh, in the Adelaide Hills. So that's just out of Mount Barker, and um, that's where my story began. Yeah. What type um, of things what? did you do when you were growing up? Yeah. So. Um, I was there till I was 17, um, all the way through from uh, lots of mucking around on push bikes, going around the town. Um, Nan was, and the hills was a very different place back then. Um, I still remember riding my bike into Mount Barker on Bald Hills Road uh, when it was 100 zones. Now it's 60 the whole way. So uh, much smaller town, much different place, the Adelaide Hills back when I was a little kid. Yeah. Hmm. And growing up, uh, brothers and sisters, siblings? Yeah, so I've got uh, one elder sister and three younger sisters. So I'm well-versed with uh, girls and female stuff. Um, so that certainly was uh, interesting and challenging. But, um, yeah, I guess that's the way it is. You don't <laughs> choose your, don't get to choose your family, do you? No, you um, don't. How did you go so, being being the only boy? Did you uh, did you find you you blended in and did what they wanted to do, or did uh, did you you often jump on the bike and ride into Mount Barker just to to do your own thing? Yeah, um, I sort of I got along fairly well with my sisters. Um, some of them were a bit tomboyish, so uh, that kind of worked in my favour, I guess, for like playing in the creek or going bike riding or whatever. Um, so yeah but then of course as they got older and we all became teenagers um it all changed a bit at that point and you know went our separate ways a bit more what type of things did you learn from your sisters that you don't think anyone else uh learnt growing up who didn't have sisters (laughs) oh well my wife says that i'm good at like handling her emotions and stuff like that. Um, so I guess I probably learned some of that off my sisters, um, that kind of thing. Okay. So there's some encouragement yeah. for uh, for other boys who are surrounded by women <laughs> in their household that it's going to set you yeah. up well for the life to come. That's right, yeah. Awesome. So you talked about jumping, going down the creek, uh, some of those things back in, in a country town. Um, were there some adventures or some, some stories that you could share from those, uh, those childhood days? Um, yeah, probably one of my favourite stories was the time that I got one of those tubs uh, with the little wheels on it 
And me and a mate decided to sit in the tub and cruise down the biggest hill in town, <laughs> um, which worked well until about three quarters of the way down and the tiny little wheels had actually completely worn away in going down the street and we just sort of came to a halt. Um, but that was certainly pretty funny. And, yeah. um, I don't think we gave the tub back to mum. I think we just sort of ditched it somewhere. So, um, I don't know. I can't remember how that went. That maybe went badly, but you know, the, the cruising down the hill was definitely fun. Right. You've you blocked out any of the rest of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> gone. Mm. And uh, schooling, uh, where did schooling. you, where'd you go to school as you grew up? Yeah, so I went to St. Mark's Primary School as a kid and then um, Cornerstone College past that. So a fairly simple story there, just the two. Yeah. And when you were at school, did you have any idea of what you might want to be when you left? No, like really, I think it wasn't until like, I don't know, year 10 or year 11 when I finally realised that, you know, I would have to get a job and do that job. Um, everyone was like, oh, what are you going to do? And I was just like, um, I don't know. So I kind of almost fell into my first job a bit. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty funny, actually. I was work I was studying at the TAFE and uh, down in the city and I um, got some work experience, a work experience position as part of the programming course I was doing and that just became a job at the end of the four weeks they're like hey do you want to keep working for us and we'll pay you and I was like brilliant (laughs) so uh so leading up to then did you have uh yeah what were your hobbies uh through yeah so as you became a teenager did you uh were you really into sport were you uh, academic what were your 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 things that you really delved into yeah, no, just uh, electronics and computers was yeah. my thing. So uh, pulling apart electronics, not putting them back together again, <laughs> uh, usually to the frustration of everyone else in the family. Um, uh, I don't remember it particularly well, but mum tells me at the time I pulled the VCR apart and then it was in so many pieces it couldn't go back together and it was kind of like a new VCR and that wasn't that didn't go down well. From what I've been told, I don't actually remember it. So our producer <laughs> is laughing so hard at your story right now, and we can hear him through the wall. <laughs> well, they eventually ended up um, buying just buying old secondhand electronics for me to pull apart as a kid. Um, so that's pretty funny. I still remember. I do remember the time that I zapped myself pretty bad with two forty because uh, I was working on a printer that I was trying to turn into a robot because the printer goes back and forth and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could get that to do something to, like, go back and forth when I wanted to. So, um, but, yeah, I was fiddling with it and it just, like, zapped me and pulled the power out in the whole house. And mum and dad came running because they'd been watching a movie and they're like, are you okay, are you okay? I was like, <laughs> So I was, I didn't get hurt, but I was pretty frightened. And did you uh, did you ever after that uh, pick up the job again? Did you create that robot out of the printer? No, um, no, I actually never successfully got the printer. I could get the I could get to go back and forth, like I get the software part working, but as soon as I pulled the arm out of the printer, it stopped working, and I was um, so 
I could only get to work in the printer, which then wasn't really what you want. You want. <laughs> so for <laughs> you, you obviously had a real interest in how things work and, and tinkering. Um, that's something that, that you develop pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started learning to program computers at about 10 or 11, I think. Um, so, and I've been writing software basically every, like, since then. Right. So, yeah. So it started off as a hobby and then it became this programming course and then it became a job, um, out of high school, uh, basically out of TAFE, kind of straight out of high school. I actually dropped out, which is pretty funny. He's still talking. <laughs> He's still... I, I, I want to know before, before we move on to that part that you've just mentioned, did you build anything successfully that didn't zap you, that <laughs> didn't blow up your house, didn't hurt anyone else? Did you actually build anything successfully? I could never get robotics and hardware to really do what I wanted to do. I ended up just a software guy, just making programs for stuff, like okay. little games and other things and all sorts, lots of games when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. And now, like, I work in that industry. So, yeah, there you go. And this is Life Burst here with Matt and Sarah, and we'll be back straight after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. We're chatting with Josh here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. So, Josh, you dropped out of school. What happened? Yeah, so I um, I found school very difficult. Very, uh, I wasn't finding school difficult as in too hard. I was actually finding it difficult as in not challenging enough. Um, so that end up turning into behavior that looked like, you know, mucking around and stuff. And mum eventually realized that I was just bored. So they ended up giving me some additional classes and stuff. Like I, I uh, went up a level for a couple of subjects, but out of all of that, I still must've missed the mark or something because at the end of year 11, I just dropped out anyway. Uh, even though I completed two subjects of year 12 at that point. So I could have just done like easy peasy year 12, but now nah, I dropped out. Um, so I ended up going from there straight into a TAFE course um, in Mount Barker for a little while. And then the second half of it was in the city. Um, and uh, yeah, that's like I said, that turned into a job, but it's kind of interesting. I, a lot of people have this notional idea that you've got to finish school and then you've got to go to uni and you need that to get a good job but there's other pathways as well and i think that's important to remember mm. that there is other ways yeah jobs so just take us back to that your, your experience at school um like you said for, for you uh you know whatever other people might have seen in you it, it was ultimately because you were you were bored or not being challenged and it just wasn't fitting um what would you say to others who are kind of in that that situation or others who maybe have kids who are going through that? Yeah, well, I'd probably say, you know, just because the kid's mucking around, it's not necessarily that they're a naughty kid or a bad kid. It, there's lots of stuff that can trigger that kind of thing. So 
Um, and likewise, if you if as a kid or if you've got a kid who just doesn't fit with school, there are plenty of alternatives. I know that there's like tape courses and there's you know uh, Vox or whatever they call it these days. You know, lots of different programs that exist. So, and in fact, like tradies, a lot of people think, oh, tradie is like you know not a good job or whatever. But you know, tradies choose a lot of their own hours. They get they can earn good money and stuff. Like electricians always earn good money. Um, well, when you have to pay for them, they must be earning good money. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I don't, I think that like trainees are, um, for example, a good example of a job that people can do without necessarily finishing school or going to uni and still, you know, have a good fulfilling life. Yeah. And how did you uh, sort of fall on the particular um, TAFE course that you did, like of all the, the tinkering you'd done, all those kind of things, how did it, uh, you'd done a little bit of programming. Was that just kind of the, the option that of all the options just seemed like something you could fall into that was a better alternative than school? Or at that point, had you started to say, yeah, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I kind of realised that I was fairly decent at programming and that mm. probably could turn it into something else. And uh, I guess it was a chance to formalise something that I enjoyed doing anyway. Um, I didn't don't remember the tape course being that challenging. It was more like formalising some stuff I'd done already. So, um, yeah, I guess that was a good thing there that, you know, to get I've got some qualification, but I didn't even go past certificate four. So, you know just uh this job came along and i found myself learning more in what i was doing with the job than i was in the tafe so i dropped out of the tafe just went from there i'm interested to know what year this was all taking place and what this uh like everything you're talking about looks like because technology changes so quickly what did programming look like back in whenever this all unfolded yeah, so my first programming ever was when I was 10 or 11 years old. So um, I th- turned 33 on uh, Friday, so I'll leave your viewers to do the math for what year that is. Um, but I was programming, um, what was it, DOS programs using a language called QBasic, if anyone maybe has heard of it. Wow. Um, it's like a slightly better version of what you'd have on an old Commodore. <laughs> so that was my origins. And none of that maybe makes sense to anyone potentially as well. I'm sure some of your viewers know what I'm talking about. I understand what you're talking about. My father Excellent. was very versed in that. I was always so amazed at how he would sit down in front of a computer and just do that. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I never learned how to do that. I left that to him and people like you instead yeah. well there you go yeah well mum and dad had a 386 with dos and then i got myself a 4863 which is very exciting <laughs> okay so how has programming changed over the years then oh the power that you've got on the computer is like ludicrous these days like just basically infinite elect- like capacity for what you can do so like on the older machine you could do a few million operations a second and now you can do like tens of billions of operations a second um and that's really changed uh where you used to try and build things as efficiently as possible 
to make the computer efficient, but that would take a long time, a lot of slight development time to get that right and efficient. And these days, modern programming doesn't really care about that as much as it probably should and tends to just make code uh, as developer efficient, as in not like the program itself is less efficient, but you're producing it quicker because computing hours cost less than developer hours. Right so on. at work or whatever, it's not necessarily efficient for us to spend 10 hours optimizing something, which will only save a couple of cents of like computer time, but you spend hundreds or thousands of dollars of developer time. It's not worth it. Okay. So for those, yeah. for the uninitiated, when, mm. when you're programming, what yeah. are you programming? Like what, what's the outcome? Um, well, particularly today, um, what are, what are the kind of things that, um, all this stuff that happens in the background, what are the yeah. results on the end? Oh, so basically I write software in a language, in a special language called a programming language, and there's a lot of different programming languages. So I mentioned QBasic earlier, that's one of them. And um, it's a combination of like English parts and also lots of symbols and stuff like that. And that's basically telling the computer all of the different instructions of what you want to do. So I'm not actually writing directly for what the computer uses. The, that programming language gets converted into something the computer can actually read, I guess. Read is an odd term, but yes, and understand and execute. So it's a lot so, like uh, learning another language and uh, being able to, to then um, yeah, process that and write that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's just basically a text file with all the stuff you want to do or more than one text file when the program gets bigger. Yeah. So and then things like websites, um, like my job is to build the back end of a website so not all the pretty graphics of what you see but behind the scenes every time you click a button or a page comes up or something for that site our software has like generated what should be shown on that page what content comes out and all the rest that is a, so that, that's a very big job to yeah so that our product our main product that we that are working day in day out at work it's um it's quarter of a million lines of this source code that's like spread over you know forty thousand files or something. So it's this whole like big thing that's running this website day in day out, twenty four seven. Right. So on yeah. you know in practice, is there just a lot of looking at screens of of uh, this different language and and just writing, typing, changing things? Um, um, or is it a lot different nowadays? No, a lot of my work is sending emails. Right. <laughs> so I'm in a management role now. So um, I do coding, but I also am running a small team of a few other developers. Uh, so it's lots of emails from customers or emails from other people in the company. And they're like, oh, we need this software to do this. And then I've got to schedule, okay, well, I've got, these developers, they're busy on this job and that job and the other job, but I can do this. I can get them to work on this next feature or whatever in three weeks' time and that kind of thing. Lots of phone calls and emails and stuff. Mm. And then you get annoying things like 
you know, some third party vendor, they change some part of how their system works and you've got to change your system to talk to their change properly. Sometimes it's only a day or two's notice as well. Yeah. Well, Josh, uh, we'll come back and chat more about that. Uh, we're listening to Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. We are chatting to Josh about his story and all the things he got up to uh, leading up to now. But Josh, take us back to uh, when you were younger, when you started TAFE, uh, outside of the world of programming, uh, what are other things that you got involved in? Yeah, so we, uh, um, it all, uh, when it rains, it pours, yeah. So <laughs> I started TAFE and at the same time we moved to Mount Barker. And at the same time, we actually changed church and it all happened in about three months. Um, so that was a really chaotic time for me. But the new church that we started going mm-hmm. to, which we have only just left, and that's another story um, for a, a little bit later, this segment. Mm-hmm. It's a very exciting um, one too. <laughs> very exciting. We'll get there. Um, so that um, was really exciting time for me. It was a bit of a bigger place, lots of young people, um, lots going on there that was really exciting and they were just doing heaps of really cool, interesting things, some youth group stuff. I was a bit too old for the youth group. I was just coming out of sort of that younger age and we did some young adults things, but I ended up also doing a lot of serving in the church, which sort of went through. Uh, I think I was really just trying to discover my faith a bit. Um, I was probably focusing on what I could do for the church more than what I was in Christ, what I am in Christ. Um, so I think sometimes people get a bit lost in serving and that happened to me. I ended up jumping from thing to thing to thing. So I did sound and light, which I actually really clung up, like really grabbed onto the computer and stuff for the sound and light. But then... You wouldn't say so, Josh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> It's grown into a passion for sound stuff. I've like got my own sound rig and stuff now. Anyway. <laughs> cool. Nice. Um, but then, um, I don't know, I was doing everything. I was doing uh, cleaning roster at one point. Um, I was doing tea and coffee. I was doing kids program. I just went in everything and sometimes for like two months or something and then I was just like, yeah, no. <laughs> Um, it's pretty funny. I think basically two thirds of the, uh, signal cables that went from the sound booth to the stage at that facility, I pulled myself by climbing in the ceiling. So, you know, there's a bit of legacy there. Um, we were at that church for many years, um, and deeply involved and I still really like the place. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm tangenting. That's okay. What does faith look like to you and faith in what? Yeah, so it's very interesting. Um, It took me way too many years to realise that who I am in Christ, um, where I stand in Christ and my salvation isn't dependent on anything other uh, other than the fact that I'm saved. So, you know like Jesus, he he declares his love for us and our salvation 
and we accept that and then full stop it's done and i think for many years i was works driven i was like oh i have to do enough for god or something he doesn't need us to do anything for him um he's god <laughs> like, <laughs> what a silly thing to say oh i need to like do enough stuff for the church so that it helps god out no like God wants to, if God wants to just completely transform a town, he will. Like, he wants to do that with us. Like, he wants to invite us on that journey, but he doesn't need us to be there for that to happen. He doesn't need us to make the world changed. He, he can do that on his own. He just wants to invite us because, you know, it's more fun than doing it on your own. It's like inviting a friend around to do gardening together. Like... You're not inviting them because you need their help gardening. You're inviting them because it's pleasant to do gardening together. Or more importantly, it's pleasant to see your friend. And while you're seeing your friend, we might as well do some gardening. Like, God doesn't need us. And once I learned that, everything changed. It suddenly was like, I'm, I'm who I am in Christ because I am who I am in Christ. It's got nothing to do with what I do or don't do. Um, it's like, yeah. Anyway, I could go on. I could certainly go on. That's fine. It's beautifully put, yeah. Yeah, that is actually really, really well put. So what would you say to people who are challenged by what you're saying, whether it be negative or positive? Look, I'd say, like, I'd say, you know, God made you who you are regardless of who you think you are and regardless of what you do and he loves you exactly as you are so you know don't try and be something else or act something else or do something else to make yourself acceptable to christ you already are acceptable to christ you were created acceptable to christ just not because of who you are but simply because you are who you are and that makes you acceptable to christ he made you acceptable just from day one Mm. Yeah, um, I might be going around in circles, but yeah. That's good. So, Josh, did that mean for you yeah. that you uh, once you realized that you stopped helping people, you stopped serving, uh, you didn't need to do that stuff anymore? Absolutely. You did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Just yep. waiting for that. Fair enough. Yeah. Right, end of story. We're done now. Bye. <laughs> so how did that play Bye. out from there? Yeah, so just because you're like we're invited to garden with Christ, yeah? So if I did nothing, I would still be acceptable to him. But I can also feel encouraged to do stuff for the kingdom, for Christ, for God, for people. So I don't, I've stopped trying to think about, oh, I'm doing something for the church or I'm doing something for Christ. And I sort of think more like, okay, how can I make the world a better place? Um, how can I make people's, what can I do to make other people's lives better or make the world more better and less sucky um so you know for a period of time there i was running a, a youth group uh, in mount barker we had a real focus on young people in disadvantage um it's kind of a garbage bit of language because saying oh you're in disadvantage you're like kind of boxing people into that but nonetheless that's where our focus was um we really wanted to help people uh, help young people who maybe were feeling a bit hopeless maybe were feeling a little bit lost to 
you know, really have uh, a place, a, a part of their life that they could call their own that was defined purely by us just uh, loving on them. Really, um, that's difficult language sometimes, uh, but we were just really wanting to have a space there where people could come and feel safe and um, receive, like, Christ's love. Um, it's not like... Don't not to be interpreted as physical or affection or anything like that. It's not like that. It's just like caring for people. So we ran that for a few years. Um, it's a hugely difficult thing to run. Um, I was started out at that program not as the main leader, but as just one of the people that's running the program, and then through a few different things that occurred, ended up being the guy just sort of accidentally fell into the job of being the guy running it. Um, and it's probably through that program that I was learning this thing about works versus identity. So I started that program believing that I had to do something for the kingdom and ended that program realising that I didn't have to do anything and that I was doing something for the kingdom because it was the right thing to do. Um, so that was a huge journey that I went through that happened to coincide this youth program. But, yeah, it was very cool. We had a bus. We'd go around and pick people up. Uh, when I say bus, I mean a old van which broke down often. Um and we'd pick them up and we'd take them back to the hall that we were hiring and we would play games and we would do dinner and we would talk with kids and we had an Xbox and we just had fun, simple activities for a couple of hours on a Saturday and then we'd drop them all home. And it was brilliant and difficult all at the same time. Nice, um, nice. I, I, I love that. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Josh, and when we come back, I'm going to be asking him about a certain special lady in his life, so stay tuned. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, Go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut community service announcement. This is Life Burst. We're chatting with Josh and I just have to ask about your side of the story about how you met your now wife. Uh, you can skip back a few weeks uh, online and catch up with us uh, wherever you get your podcasts from and on YouTube and Facebook as well to hear Jesse's side of the story. <laughs> uh, but let's hear your side now, Josh. How'd you meet Jesse? Um well, Jesse and I have corroborated on this story. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so I met her at a youth thing of some description. I think it was just some of us hanging out rather than some formal event. We were at the Mountbike Pool and we were playing a dumb game called Pass the Parcel where you carry a person around from person to spot to spot. So far it's lining up. So far it's lining up. Yeah, okay. Consistent. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and she was handing to me. That's the official story we go with. Uh, <laughs> good, good. I had my eye on her a bit. Anyway, she was friends with my sister. Um, eventually, 
I convinced my sister to invite her on our family Christmas uh, holiday that we were going on uh, as her friend, as my sister's friend. Yes. <laughs> then it was all over at that point. Um, so my sister was actually pissed at me because I kept stealing Jesse away. Um, that created quite a bit of angst. But, you know, uh, A led into B. Um, and then after the holiday, I sat her down and asked if she'd like to be my girlfriend. So it's all history. After and what that. did she say? Did she say yes or no or maybe? or? Uh, I think she said yes. And then we had dinner with her parents that night because that's just we were in Mackie. So I met the family and invited the girlfriend and everything all in one hit. Definitely recommended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you uh, you were still pretty young, both of you back then. Uh, so uh, how did things unfold from there? Yeah, we dated for a few years. Jesse was still doing year 12, I think. I just moved out of home. Um, I lived in a shabby little unit in Mount Barker, and that was lots of fun. And, yeah, we dated for a few years, and then... I proposed um, probably a last hint I'd be there if I want to give anyone a hint is um, make sure your proposal's not lame. Yeah, unlike the way. Anyway. <laughs> good, so, good tip. Yeah, good tip. Don't be lame. Yeah. Okay. So if people have watched this before, <laughs> they already know about your proposal and why you're making that comment. Uh, but if they have it, so I was guessing Jesse complained about it. <laughs> How did you propose to Jesse then? Lonely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a I'm a fairly low key person, but um, in retrospect, I shouldn't have been low key here anyway in this department. Right. No, I just proposed at home, like on the couch. Yep. I said some nice words and stuff, but. Probably should have done like, you know, dinner or garden or flowers or something. Um, so low point in my relationship. <laughs> you could only go up from there, can't you? Obviously. You can, well, that is true. And, you know, at least I wasn't setting some expectations or whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm loving you're a wise man. Part of my thought pattern maybe was you spend most of your life, like as a married couple or whatever, sitting at home on the couch or like doing life together rather than these big dramatic moments. And I kind of always thought that, um, I don't know, proposal and marriage is just an extension of that, so it makes sense to do it like that. In reality, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> I was telling myself. And um, don't do that. It's a okay. bad idea. Look, we, we're, you're full of gold um, and, you know, pearls of wisdom. Uh, but obviously, Jesse, at some point, either either there or later on, said yes. Uh, was it was it there? It that? was there, and it... we then went to mum and dad's and had champagne. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so that picked it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I redeemed myself without a ten year for a ten year thing. I got another ring, a new, more fancy ring, and I did it again. I think it was better. Hope it was better. And she said yes again? Well, yeah, I think. Oh, um, yes, yes, she said yes. Great. 
So a few years down. No, no, no. I want. I want to know how he proposed it again and how it was better than the first time. Oh, right. Well, uh, I've had like words to say and stuff and things, and we're in a. No, it's censored. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay, it was just better than before. That's good. It's just better than before. Well done. Yep. That's that's excellent. So you 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 uh, you know, as you you obviously got married, um, yeah, and uh, then the family grew. Yeah, so I have a uh, three little children. Mm-hmm. They're delightful and wonderful in every possible way. Excellent. Would you like to yeah, tell us but... more about them? Uh, what they get up to? What type of things Dad does with them? Yeah. So we have. Um, like I said, three, we have, uh, an eight year old who's going on 15. <laughs> we have a five year old and a four year old, they're boys and they enjoy destroying things. Um, their current project is they're digging a hole in the backyard. They're just digging down. <laughs> they call it mining. Uh, in reality, they're just digging a big hole. Um, so that's really brilliant actually. Um, <laughs> Make it sound so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're at about three hundred mil at the moment. Three hundred down and about I don't know <laughs> two fifty across or something. It's quite impressive. So by um, summer, but, by summer you could have a pool. <laughs> but yeah, and that's what we want actually. Yeah. Uh, a nice big pile of mud that we can just sort of sit in. Awesome. So, hey, now. Yep, that's, yeah, you uh, you haven't mentioned this, but I do. I understand that uh, perhaps inspired by your children and with your uh, programming background, that at some point you created a game um, that was released to the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you like to just share a little bit of that experience? Of uh, I would love to tell yeah. you about, um, especially if any of your viewers can cop up a dollar fifty, <laughs> which which you pay for it. It's called Toddler Simulator, right? Um, so toddler simulator, yeah, toddler simulator. simulator. So I was inspired by another game that's was pre-existing and lots of fun called Goat Simulator. Yes, and also inspired by my little children who like destroying things. And I thought, oh, imagine Goat Simulator, but you're a toddler and you go around just trashing the place. I made a prototype. The prototype was fun. I made a real game and it was dreadful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I learned a fair bit about it. Like we went open world and I realised that my world was probably too large. I had lots of houses you could go into, but they were all just basically copy-pastes of each other. And once you'd done one house, there was no point going into any other house because it's all basically the same. So... In retrospect, I should have gone a smaller world with more to do because once you've done like five or ten minutes of game, you were bored because everything else was just a carbon copy of the same. So um, that was an interesting experience. I learned a lot about, you know, marketing for a video game and distribution and all of those kinds of things. We distribute online. It still earns a tiny little bit of money. Um you know, every six months or something, I get another hundred US dollars or something. But it's not like revolutionary, and the reviews for it are pretty poor. So, <laughs> would it be? But fair you know, if you got to spare dollar fifty, <laughs> yeah, yes. 
Is it <laughs> fair to say that the hours you put in have not been um, paid for by what you've got back from the game so far? Yeah, I think we put uh, $700 or $800 in um, buying software and assets and stuff like that and paying the license for Steam to be able to distribute it. And uh, probably another five or 600 hours of development on top of that. And it's earned, I don't know, $1,300 or something. Right. There you go. Well, you get there. That's yeah. okay. Hey, good on you for it's giving a it a crack. You, you it's might, a flop, but you it was a get, learning experience. You might get another uh, five or so dollars out of it, out of uh, out of people watching this today. Hey, <laughs> then make it all worthwhile. Uh, this is life. I actually, oh, after hang that, on, Josh. So, oh, sorry, <laughs> we'll come back um, with more. Oh, sorry. This is life first. You're listening to Matt and Sarah. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. We're chatting to Josh. Uh, Josh, uh, at some point you moved from the Adelaide Hills where you spent most of your life uh, somewhere far, far away. Tell us what brought about that change. Yeah, so my wife, my darling wife, found a job uh, in Broken Hill running one of the churches there. And we talked about it a lot for several months. We went up there and visited and uh, eventually decided that that's where we felt that God was moving us to. Um, so we packed up and we moved there. Um, so we've been here since Easter. Right. Which is yeah. not very long. No, no. So when I was talking about the kids digging a hole, that was in just dirt because it's Broken Hill. Right. <laughs> inspired by the miners yeah <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> so it's a pretty cool place um it's decent size and it's remote but they can't have everything because they have to have everything so um there's plenty to do here and you know all the shops that you want and stuff so it's a cool place i like it and now there's a part of your story that you haven't yet talked about that we've been talking about off air that you were wanting to share and it involves your children yeah so our eldest daughter she was um she was actually diagnosed a few years ago with uh asd autism spectrum disorder and that was very interesting to me because uh as a kid my parents had had some hunch that i had uh asperger's or something like that which is now under the asd banner but I was never, like, formally diagnosed. Um, and it's kind of, a, it was a bit different back then. It was sort of a bit more taboo and um, not really, the diagnosis wasn't as common. Like, I think it happened with really severe cases, but not with the milder cases. Um, but it was very interesting going through all the learning that we did with our daughter um, to... Um, sort of see some stuff in myself about autism and that perhaps I haven't been diagnosed, but perhaps I have that as well. And um, it's really helped me to understand behaviours and stuff, which is really good. Mm. So, Yeah, we were talking before about identity and um, the importance of, of these things either defining us or not defining us uh, what's your take on that uh you know having had that self-diagnosis 
Yeah, so I think a lot of people, um, they really take, if they, they maybe people with disability or people with trauma or mental health issues and they take that and they actually build their life around it. They really define themselves by that. They say, oh, I have X, I have Y. I'm not as sure about that. I'm, I still will say, oh, I've got ASD or whatever, or I maybe have ASD, but I won't, like, I don't really make that part of my identity. I think I'm more, as a person, I'm more than just my autism. I'm more than just that aspect of my life. I actually exist as I exist regardless of that. It's just a part of my story. It's not actually who I am. Mm. So who do you identify yourself as and in oh well i'm uh, i'm the living embodiment of the fruit of christ aren't i uh we are who we are because of what he's done in our lives not because of anything else yeah what would you say to people who um who maybe have a child um who has or hasn't been diagnosed or or someone in their circles um is there any advice you'd give to them about, um, you know, doing life? Yeah, so I'd probably say, like, if you if you you maybe have a hunch, you could probably, uh, or if, if you don't have a hunch but you've got a child that you find is acting in a really difficult manner constantly, <clears throat> I wouldn't be saying, oh, go out and get diagnosed, and I wouldn't be diagnosing either, but I would say, oh, why don't you just do a bit of reading? Um, take a look at some of the ASD behaviours and then see if it looks like it maybe fits your scenario. But diagnosis isn't that useful on its own. Like you might get some funding or whatever, but really it's more helpful to say, oh, I'm in this situation or my kid's in this situation, so we maybe just respond a little bit differently in some ways, like some quiet time or some like you know, some understanding when they've got particular behaviours. So it's more, I think it's more about, like, understanding than it is about, like, getting particular strong diagnosis or the formal piece of paper or whatever. But, yeah. So when your daughter got that diagnosis and you started thinking about it, how did that change your faith and your belief in your life and your family's life? because that seems to be a really big part of your lives. Uh, so how did it change? Um, look, I think faith and, um, and this kind of thing, like some people call it disability, yeah, and I'd say oh, faith and disability, well, they're not, they don't have to create drama, but, Disability is a really bizarre word for it because I don't think it's disability. It's more like just a different way that you were created. Um, so I don't like pray against autism or whatever. I'd rather say, you know, help me fully understand who I am um, and to better cope with the world as I am rather than, oh, I wish I wasn't autistic. So how can I? I don't necessarily have a good answer for you. I'm sorry. That's a pretty good answer. That good, yeah. That's a very good answer. It's things that you've uh, worked and wrestled mm, through yourself, mm. uh, and I and I guess as you've already sort of alluded to, uh, with a child, you uh, it's not perhaps your uh, 
those foundations that change, but your practices and the way you learn to to deal with um, well your family situation and responding to things. Uh, I guess that's they're the just different coping mechanisms. Is that has that been true for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Right on, mate. Yeah. Well, uh, what's uh, what's next for you, Josh? Uh, you're working in uh, Broken Hill. You're doing uh, the work you were doing um, back in Adelaide, but remotely. Uh, yeah, what do you see ahead? Is there a, a Toddler Simulator 2 that's uh, on the cards? <laughs> yeah, so there's some interesting stuff that we're hoping to do with this church going forward. Um, we're just really trying to settle in at the moment, but we've got some... Uh, programs that we might try and start up some men's groups or maybe another youth group. Um, so I think that's where I'm going to try and put some energy going forward. Obviously works very busy for us um, all the time. So, and then, uh, yeah, try and maybe do some more travel later in the year as well when we get to be able to do that a bit more. Sounds like you've got a lot of fun times ahead. Mm. And there, Josh. Now, a question that we ask all of our guests as we come to the final couple of minutes of our show is if you had one piece of advice to share with those who are listening right now, what would that be? Yeah, I would suggest that you just got to do stuff with your life. So um, Sometimes we get, as people, we get so caught up with, like, work and family and even, like, church and going from a to b to c constantly like sort of stuck in this loop of doing like living and sleeping um but i think often we end up not really doing stuff that's interesting or exciting or that we're passionate about and then we miss out and suddenly wake up and you know you know you're 80 years old and you wake up and you realize you've done nothing but work and make money and feed yourself um so i'd suggest people like go out and do stuff like, you know, find a hobby, find something that you're passionate about, do something exciting or interesting at your church, you know, just anything. Like we bought a caravan uh, just to do it up and holiday in it, but it's like you got to do something. you got to make something of your life and um, enjoy your life and find your passions and do those. So, yeah. Great advice. Go and live it. So thank you, Josh, so much for that yes. advice and for sharing your life and your perspective on it. We really appreciate that. This is Life Bursts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. And uh, we are really uh, glad that you've been able to join us today. Um, stay tuned no for more Life Bursts episodes wherever you get your podcasts or on radio, TV, so many ways. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozadigan, with additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.